Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Good morning, Grace. We are in the book of Nahum. If you're visiting with us, we're going through this Old Testament prophecy from the 7th century BC. We saw several months ago, we looked at the book of Jonah and God sent the prophet Jonah to Nineveh to announce that destruction was coming unless they repented and changed their ways. And they did. Now we fast forward 100 plus years later and the Ninevites had gone back to their wicked ways and God is sending the prophet Nahum to say it's too late Uh, too little, too late, you're going to be destroyed. So that's where we pick up in today, uh, if you're visiting with us, to bring you up to speed. The book of Nahum, we're going to look at verses 7 through 14 today. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you for your great love that has flooded our hearts because of the gospel message, because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And all that you are for us in him. And we say thank you, God. The joy that we feel when we sing to you and sing about how great you are. When we hear your word and hear the promises of your word. How merciful and gracious you are to us. Sinners like us, we're all sinners here, Father. The difference between some of us is that some of us are still your enemy and some of us are your children. We were all born enemies, God, and through the gospel you have adopted some of us here into your family. For those who have never repented and turn from their sins, would you work in their heart even now as they hear your word, God. And for those of us who are your children, God, may our joy be unleashed. May the gospel come and overwhelm us like a flood this morning as we hear promises from your word. And then may we be changed and transformed for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Anthropologist Ethel Oppenfels tells the story of a woodsman, this man that lived in the country who was walking with a friend of his on Fifth Avenue in New York City. And the woodsman stopped his friend and said, wait a minute, I hear a cricket. And his friend said, that's impossible, unbelievable. There's no way that you hear a cricket amidst all of this noise that New York City is producing. And so the woodsman said, I'll prove it to you. He reached into his pocket, pulled out a dime, flipped it up into the air. And when it landed on the sidewalk, about 30 people stopped and turned around to see where the money went. And the woodsman said, it all depends on what you have your ears tuned to. My ears, he said, are tuned to crickets. Let me ask you this morning, what are your ears tuned to? Better yet, as it relates to the book of Nahum, as you go through suffering and hardship and sorrow and trials and persecution, what do you think about? What do you believe? What do you have your ear tuned to when you suffer and experience affliction? 
C.S. Lewis said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a dead world. One of my favorite authors, Flannery O'Connor, said, To the hard of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind you draw large and startling pictures. What does Lewis, what does O'Connor mean? What are they saying? They are saying that oftentimes we are hard of hearing and we need reminders from God. We often have our ears tuned to something else besides God when we experience suffer and affliction and hardship. The nation of Judah needed to tune their ears to the prophecy of Nahum. They needed a wake-up call. They needed to be reminded that God was still the king and that he was good and that he had a plan for their lives even though they were suffering under Assyria, the dominant political power of the day. We also will see that the wicked capital city of Nineveh was also going to get a wake-up call through the events that would happen in Nahum's prophecy. Every human being needs a wake-up call to the reality of God in this world. We need to tune our ears to God's word. God often uses pain and affliction to get our attention, to jostle us, to startle us, to wake us up from our slumber. And when he does that, It's grace, intrusive grace, loud, megaphone-like grace, intrusive, in-your-face, in-your-business kind of grace. That's how the gospel works. The gospel comes to you, and it gets in your face, and it messes up your hair. Grace will never, ever leave us alone. But it's painful. That's why Flannery O'Connor also said, all human nature vigorously resists grace because grace changes us and the change is painful. Grace is intrusive. God's grace is painful, but the goal is transformation. It's Christ-likeness. It's being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord aimed for for the city of Nineveh during Jonah's ministry but they have turned their back on the repentance that they expressed in Jonah's time. They've returned to their evil ways, and now it is too late. And that transformation is what God is aiming for his people in Judah. Even though he had afflicted them and disciplined them by allowing Assyria to dominate them, it was all grace. It was transforming grace. The nation of Judah needed to tune their ears to the gospel even as they heard Nahum's prophecy detailing the destruction of the wicked Ninevites. Our big idea today is this. The gospel comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Here's what I mean. God comforts his people whenever they suffer any kind of hardship in this world. God is there as the comforter, but God also afflicts his children when they get comfortable with sin. 
I don't mean that God is mean or vindictive when I say that he afflicts us. So don't think that about God. We know from Scripture that God disciplines his children. That's what the whole chapter of Hebrews 12 is about. God allows hardships to happen, to serve our good, and to bring him glory. And when he does these things, it is from a good, sovereign hand. Nineveh clearly was about to be afflicted by the Lord because they were comfortable in their sin. They are a picture of the unbeliever. Judah was afflicted by the Assyrians because they had turned away from the Lord during the reign of King Ahaz in 2 Kings 16, and they made a treaty with the nation of Assyria, and they subjected themselves to Assyria. So God used Assyria to afflict his people, to discipline them, to get their hearts again. As a spanking rod or a rod of discipline, you would say. Or I grew up in Oklahoma in the country, and we use switches. My parents use the switch. Do you know what a switch is? In fact, I love my mom, but she made us go pick our own switch. So you're always tempted. Too flimsy, too hard. There was a, there was a, there was a middle ground that you aimed for. God was using the nation of Assyria to afflict or to switch, if you will, the nation of Judah because they had turned away. But God was about to undo that affliction and comfort them. It's always this way with the people of God when it comes to affliction. There are a couple of things we must keep in mind. One is sin. God afflicts us when we dabble in sin, when there's rebellion and hard-heartedness. He disciplines us, Hebrews 12, when we dabble with sin, when there's hard-heartedness. I don't mean that if you run a stop sign that God is like going to whip you immediately. I'm talking about those times when you know and I know in our hearts that we're kind of cold and indifferent to the Lord and indifferent different to his word and his ways and we're just kind of we kind of pull away from him when we become like Smeagol in the Lord of the Rings with our sin and we say my precious it is in those times that God comes to afflict us to discipline us to capture our hearts again to see the the sewage that lies beneath that promise of sin and to redirect our attention to see the beauty of Jesus Christ in the gospel This is why God had used the wicked Assyrians to afflict his people Judah because they had turned away from the Lord. In fact, he made promises to them, covenant promises in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he said, these curses will come upon you if you turn away from me. And they had. So God was disciplining Judah, his children. But we must understand when God disciplines his children, it is never Punitive. It is never done in a violent way. God is never out of control with rage when he disciplines his children. It is a loving discipline so that we may become like Jesus. Remember, he poured his wrath out upon his son. He never, ever will again pour his wrath out upon his children. But he does discipline us like any parent does that loves their children. The second thing to keep in mind besides sin is sovereignty. God allows afflictions to come into our lives and we may never know why except that it's for our good and it's for his glory. God sends affliction 
adversity in many forms, physical sickness, chronic illness, loss of a loved one, damaged relationships, etc. He sends trials, afflictions, hardships, etc. into our lives. But all of these circumstances are under the umbrella of a good, gracious, merciful, wise, sovereign God. Under the umbrella of a good God. That's what Nahum says. Look at verse 7. Hear the words of the good God that we serve. It says, Yahweh, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Quick observation about verses 7 through 14. They kind of ping pong back and forth between Judah and Nineveh. Verse 7 addresses Judah. Then Nahum will address Nineveh in verses 8 through 11. Then verses 12 through 13, he comes back to Judah. And then in verse 14, he addresses Nineveh. You may be struck first by the fact that Nahum says that God is good. You may be thinking, how can God be good when his people experience suffering and affliction in this world, especially when their enemies, the Assyrians, have been abusing them. How can God be good? And how can God be good if he is using Assyria to afflict his people and to be an instrument of discipline upon them? How can God be good? Those are great questions. Those are questions your unbelieving Friends and neighbors and family members and co-workers probably ask. God is good, even though he was disciplining his children in Judah by using the nation of Assyria as the rod of discipline. Nahum comes to remind Judah that Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, is good in spite of what you see. It's what the people of God always need to be reminded of when they suffer. Whether you suffer like Judah and you're being disciplined for your wayward hearts or whether you are just suffering and you don't know why. And you're saying, why is this happening? I don't know. You need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. We need to tune our ears to the truth of God's word. God is good. This is what Sarah Edwards focused on when she received word that her husband, Jonathan Edwards, one of my heroes, that he had died at the age of 54, one month after he had accepted the position of president of Princeton College in 1758. He received a uh, smallpox inoculation, was told, you need to take this. And then he died. And Sarah was separated from Jonathan because he moved ahead of her, and so she wrote her daughter Esther, whose husband, Aaron Burr Sr., had died six months earlier. And this is what Sarah said to her daughter Esther. They're both now widows. My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands upon our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had your father so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God and there I am and love to be your affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. Whenever you suffer 
anything in this life, please remember that God is good. I know there are many times when we experience pain, chronic sickness, illness, suffering, affliction, trials. And we don't know why, but we must remember that God is good, that a good, sovereign, infinitely wise God is allowing it for our good and for his glory. To understand we will be perplexed in this life. We will be confused. We will be dumbfounded. We will say, oh God, why is this happening? Why have you allowed this? And that's okay. You need to do that. But we must never, ever doubt that God is good. We must never lay a charge against Him. We must Kiss the rod and lay our hands upon our mouths. When you suffer affliction and hardship and sorrow, suffering, tune your ear to the gospel megaphone of Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. When trials and sufferings and hardships and affliction and discipline come your way and you are tempted to listen to the voice of Satan or the voice inside your head or the voice of some other person, tune your ears to the voice of Nahum. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. We are never ever to allow our circumstances or our feelings or our thoughts. We're never to allow those things to define the character of our God. Only Scripture, God's Word, has the right and the authority to tell us what our God is like. Nahum says, when you are suffering, remember the Lord is good. And remember the gospel. It comforts the afflicted and it afflicts the comfortable. In verse 7, Nahum reminds Judah of that comfort. He reminds them that the Lord is good. And then look at verse 7, and that he is a stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord is a fortress or a stronghold that, that you are on the run from your enemies and you see it and you run into it and you are safe and elevated and out of the way of your enemy. Whatever it is, we are safe in him. In the Old Testament, the phrase, in the time of trouble, refers to situations where God's people are oppressed by their enemies. Nahum may actually even be alluding to uh, King Sennacherib, who in 701 BC, we saw it a few weeks ago on Sunday evening, um, where King Sennacherib and the Assyrian army made up of 185,000 Assyrian soldiers marched against Judah, had Judah and King Hezekiah trapped, and the Lord showed up and wiped out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. The Lord was a stronghold for King Hezekiah and for Judah. The Lord is a stronghold for all of his people, and he is good. 
and he comforts you whenever your enemies attack, whether it's sickness or people or trials or hardships. Trust him. Let the gospel that's oozing out of verse 7, let it get on your fingertips. Let it get on your clothes. Let it mess up your hair this morning. God is good. Let the gospel comfort of verse 7 comfort you this morning. We see the comfort of the gospel so clearly too in this phrase in verse 7. It says, he knows those who take refuge in him. The Hebrew word here for knows is this covenantal term. In the ancient Near East, when a king would, would bring a, a vassal, someone under, under their authority to them, they made covenant obligations with them to do good to them. Judah was the subject of Assyria, but Assyria had abandoned its responsibility. But Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, knows the covenant obligations that he has with his people. He knows and cares. God cares about your well-being if you are his child. That's what the word knows means. It means that he knows what is happening in your life. And he truly cares. He sees how sin has wrecked your life. He sees how the effects of Adam's sin has wrecked your world. He sees how sickness and sorrow and tragedy has wrecked your life and your world. And he cares. He sees. He knows. He cares. He actually cherishes your well-being. So take refuge in him in the day of your trouble, in the one who is not bothered when you come to him, but who welcomes you because he cares for every detail of your life. Are you experiencing affliction right now? Maybe discipline for sin because of your wayward heart? Maybe destruction because of someone else's sin. Maybe persecution for following Jesus. Take refuge in God. He is the God of all comfort, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1. Now that Nahum has provided Judah with some comfort to help them in their affliction, Nahum will now address Nineveh with some affliction because they are comfortable in their sin. Look at verse 8. But with an overwhelming flood, the Lord will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise a second time, for they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. From you, Nineveh, came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Now Nahum addresses the city of Nineveh and describes how the Lord will wipe out the city. Nineveh will be swept away like an overwhelming flood. 
Nahum says she will be wiped out. And this came true in 612 BC as the Medes and the Babylonians came against Nineveh and utterly wiped her out. In fact, 300 years later, when Xenophon was leading the Greeks through this area, he commented that it seemed as if Nineveh had never even been here. It was so leveled and gone. That's what the Lord does to his enemies. In fact, verse 8 says that the Lord will pursue his enemies into darkness. It's this Hebrew word that says the Lord will pursue and chase and chase. He will stay on his enemies' tails. They can't get away from them. He will find them and he will destroy them. So it's pointless, verse 9 says, for Nineveh to try to plot against the Lord. They will be wiped out. They have caused trouble. You see it two times there in verses 7 and 9. Assyria had caused trouble. Nineveh had caused trouble for Judah. But now, Nahum says, there's coming a day where you will not cause Judah trouble anymore. Devastation was coming. In fact, Nahum describes their, their devastation this way in verse 10. He says, they're like entangled thorns. As thorns are tossed out and destroyed, he says, they will be tossed out. I mean, nobody cherishes a, a big kind of ball of thorns, do they? Do any of you have big balls of thorns in your house? You're like, oh, I love this. It's my favorite thing. You don't. You get rid of them. He says, just as thorns are tossed out, just as people clear their grass and their land of thorns, Nineveh is going to be wiped away. Then he says they're like drunkards. As drinks are consumed by drunkards, he says they will be consumed and they'll be gone. Then he says they will be like dry stubble. As you throw some dry wood into the fire, it just quickly burns up. Nahum's point is that Nineveh will be consumed, destroyed, and obliterated. And then in verse 11, he's probably addressing one of their kings, maybe King Sennacherib. And as he brings up Sennacherib, as he addresses the king, likely there would have been a sense of fear that would rise up in any person in Judah because Assyria was the superpower of the day. They were very wicked. You remember in the 60s and 70s and even 80s for me, when you mentioned Russia, it was like, (gasps) did you see the movie Red Dawn? Remember the guys come parachuting into the school and start shooting people from Russia? I thought that could happen. I was like a nine, ten-year-old boys, like the Russians could come any moment, parachute into America, and take over. That's kind of the imagery that someone from Judah would have had. Assyria? Uh. Nahum's description of the destruction of these people would have been shocking to someone in Judah, but also so very comforting. Your average person in Judah would have scratched their head and wondered, how can this be? They're at the top. They're the number one. How are they ever going to be destroyed? And because Nahum anticipates how they feel, I think he lets the Lord have the floor in verses 12 through 13. I think he says, you can have the microphone, Lord. You need to address your people. You need to comfort them. They need to hear your words personally. So look at verse 12. Thus says the Lord, though they, Nineveh, are at full strength and many... They will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. 
All of Nahum's prophecy is the word of the Lord. But I think he drives the point home by saying, thus says the Lord. It's as if he wants to back away and say, you need to listen to your God, Judah. You need to let him have the four. Let him be a gospel megaphone that is blaring to you. The superpower of the day, the Assyrians were going down. And notice this about the Lord. He's not going to take Nineveh out when they were weak. He is striking them when they are at full strength, verse 12 says. The Lord will strike Nineveh not when they've gone into retirement and they're rusty and they reminisce about the good days. No, they are at full strength. And it is then that the Lord will come and cut them off. Catch the gospel promise here, Grace. He says, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. You see, the Lord did use Assyria as an instrument of judgment or discipline on Judah because they had turned away from him. But God had not forgotten about his people. Though he afflicted them, he would pull back his hand of affliction and set them free from Assyrian oppression. One commentator says this, God is never insensitive to the sufferings of his people, although they may think he has forgotten them. The faith of the psalmist enabled him to acknowledge that it was good for him to be afflicted because before he was afflicted, he went astray. Psalm 119 verses 67 and 71. Even the length of time that God's people remain under trial is determined by the good purposes of God for them. But at the right time, the Lord acts to deliver his people. God afflicts and God relieves from affliction. Listen, you may be suffering today because of your sin, because of your wayward heart. Or you may be suffering because of someone else's sin, what they've done to you. But understand, his timing is good. We don't know so many times why we are suffering. But we know it's always for our good and for his glory. God allows his children to experience suffering and only he knows why but we know it's for our good and for his glory god has determined what you will suffer and how long you will suffer his timing is good even though we don't see it that way because what do we say i'm good lord i learned this is good you can remove this affliction you can remove this suffering i'm good let me tell you god who spoke the universe into existence let me tell you how to run your world for a minute because the pain's real it's raw and that's how we feel we've all been there but he has determined the length of your suffering his good purpose has determined it it's not like the lottery and he's just spinning some cage going to pull out a little raffle ticket and say ah this is why you're going to suffer and for how long he knows his good purpose has determined it and at the exact time the right time he will deliver he does afflict but he also relieves from affliction 
you may experience suffering your entire life. But trust him. I promise you, when you stand before him and he rolls out the blueprints of your life, and he shows you what he was doing and how he was bringing good into your life, how he was bringing glory to his name, I promise you will bow down in worship and say, you are the infinitely wise God, a good God, a sovereign God. And I see what you were doing. I didn't see it then. I didn't understand. But now I got this aerial view and I'm, I'm looking at your blueprints and I see and, and he will show you. Here's why I did this. Here's why this happened. It brought good to you. It brought good to this person. It was bringing glory to my name. He will roll out the blueprints of your life. I can't wait for the day when he takes the rolled up blueprints, removes the rubber band, if you will, and says, come here, Benji, roll it up. Let me show you what I was doing in in your life, why you were experiencing what you experienced then. It was for your good. It was for other people and it was for my glory. And you and me, when we look at that, we will bow down and worship him and say, I would not change a thing now because I see it from your perspective. The, the blueprints will be rolled out one day. Until then, we must not lay a charge against our God. We must place our hand over our mouth. And if we speak anything, we should say, the Lord is good. I know it's easy to preach this, but it's hard to live in the day-to-day because one of my kids suffers with Tourette's syndrome. And just yesterday, Heather said, one day, Jamin... You won't have this. And he said, I know. There's coming a day when God's going to make my body new and I'll be on the earth and I won't tick anymore. There's coming a day. I know it's hard to live in the day to day of the suffering. What do you do just in the day to day? You know, I want to make it through today. Four things for you. Applications, if you will. They all begin with the letter T. If you like alliteration and that's your thing, here you go. First one is tasks. Take it one day at a time. Focus on what you have to do today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what the doctor is going to say next week. Don't worry if the insurance is going to cover it or not. Just focus on the tasks that you have to do today. You have to do laundry. You have to make dinner. You have to tuck your kids in bed. You have to brush your teeth. You have to take a shower. That may be all you can do. Just focus on the tasks for today. And then tell people, the second T, don't keep it to yourself. Get involved in community here. We're a family. Tell someone. Say, walk with me through this hardship. I'm struggling. Pray for me. Let people be the means of God's grace to you here. Let them encourage you. Third is take. Take notes. Learn. Journal. Write down what you're learning Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, here's the purpose, here's why God brings you the comfort in your pain and suffering, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So you're not to be a little cul-de-sac of God's comforts. 
God's comfort comes to you in your trial, you start taking notes so that you can go to the next person who's experiencing suffering. You can say, here's what I learned. Here's how God comforted me. Let me comfort you with that truth. The fourth thing, after you realize that your suffering is not just about you, is trust. Just keep trusting God. Keep reminding yourself that God has a plan, that he is good, that he has a timetable, that there's one day he's going to roll out the blueprints of your life and you will get to see what he's been seeing all along. Trust in that. And keep remembering the gospel comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Your suffering is a gospel megaphone. Listen up. Tune your ears to the gospel comfort that blares from God's megaphone. Judah needed to hear the gospel megaphone that Yahweh was going to break off the yokes and bonds that Assyria had imposed on them. Nahum is saying grace is on its way, Judah. And I would say to you, Christian, grace is on its way. Hang in there. In verse 14, Nahum switches back to Nineveh, specifically the king of Assyria. He says in verse 14, The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. The Lord was going to put an end to this king's dynasty. He was going to plunder their grave. In fact, in the ancient Near East, in fact, many Assyrian kings had all these curses written on their graves. It says, this God's going to curse you. This God's going to curse you. This God's going to curse you if you try to mess with me and my grave. And the Lord shows up, says, you know what? You can't stop me. Even though the Lord used Assyria to afflict his people, the Lord would end it. In his wisdom, And goodness, the text is telling us that the Lord allows us to experience affliction, discipline, and suffering because God wants to get our attention. As C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a dead world. God shouts so many times through our suffering. Suffering and pain are his megaphones to rouse us, to wake us up. And God's discipline is meant to help us in the quest for Christ-likeness. Not to hurt us, not to discourage us, but to make us more like his son. So we should not be surprised when the Lord disciplines us. He brings things into our experience that are hard, but which are designed by him to help us grow in grace. C.S. Lewis also describes God so beautifully in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Upon first hearing about Aslan, the Lion King, one of the children asks if Aslan is safe. The reply by Mr. Beaver, is well worth considering. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than me or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. 
Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The Lord is good. We serve a good king. But he, he is not safe. None of us could appear before him without our knees knocking. Ask Nineveh. Let the gospel land on you this morning. Listen to the gospel megaphone coming from Nahum's prophecy. Tune your ears this morning to the gospel. Some of us are comfortable with sin. And we're saying, my precious. And we need to be afflicted. We need to be disciplined by our God. We need a course correction in our heart to see that there's a sewage line that runs underneath the promise of sin. And we need to have our eyes redirected to the beauty of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And some of us are afflicted because we're experiencing suffering and hardship and trial and sickness. And we need God's comfort. Let the gospel land on you where it may this morning. Let the gospel land on you this morning like a hurricane. Some of you here don't know Jesus. And the gospel will land on you when you breathe your last. God will come, as Nahum says in verse 8, like an overwhelming flood in judgment. A, a gospel hurricane of God's justice and wrath that you can try to stand before, but you won't be able to. And you will experience the hurricane of his wrath and justice for eternity in hell. Or, and I plead with you this morning, let Jesus stand there for you as he did at the cross. Turn from your sins and trust in him. For those of us who are his children, we've admitted that we're sinners and we only look to Jesus to be saved. Let the gospel come like a hurricane on you this morning. Maybe to bring discipline into your life or maybe let it bring comfort, a gospel hurricane of comfort if you're experiencing suffering. But let it land on you this morning. Tune your ears to God's megaphone, his gospel. Let Mr. Beaver have your ear one more time as we close this morning. Tune your ear to Mr. Beaver because He's saying the same thing that Nahum is saying in his prophecy. And he's saying the same thing that the writer of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews 12. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He isn't safe, Grace. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Let's pray. Father, there are people here who don't know you. And they think that they could stand up to the hurricane of your justice and your wrath. And unless you open their eyes to the beauty of the gospel, Father, they'll never come to you. So would you grant them repentance right now? 
God, there's some of us here who are your children, who were your enemies, who used to think that we could stand up to the hurricane of your justice and wrath, and you raised us up from the deadness of our sins. And yet, we believe the lies of sin. There are some of us who are saying, my precious, would you discipline us, course correct our hearts, open our eyes to see the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ. Would you do that by your spirit, God? And then there's some of us, God, who are afflicted with sickness and suffering and trial and hardships and sin has wreaked havoc in our lives and the result of sin in this world has devastated us and has blown through like a hurricane and we're trying to hang on in the midst of the storm. God, would you comfort those of us who are there today? Would you let us hear Nahum's words that you are good? Do it for our good and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net. 